We're going to be in John chapter 1, verses uh, 1 through 5, and then also verse 14. So, I don't know about you guys, but Christmas is hands down my favorite time of year. Uh, It's not just because Christmas also coincides with the pond hockey season, um, although that is excellent, uh, but I love this time of year. I have four littles at home, a six-year-old, five, three, and eight months, and Christmas is just simply magical to them. Uh, Just the other day, we, uh, our whole family, we drove up to the National Forest and cut down a Christmas tree. It's the first time we ever did it. And we lugged and we tugged that thing out of the forest and put it on top of our car, tied it down. By God's grace, it didn't fall off when we drove home. But uh, then we, we set it up in our house, put the, all the ornaments on it, the lights, the ribbon, and we turned it on and boom, their faces it just lit up, just like that Christmas tree. And so whenever we come home, my oldest son, Solomon, he's six, he'll go right over to that Christmas tree and make sure it's plugged in because he wants to see it as often as he can. It's amazing. And then tomorrow morning, Christmas morning, the best part of being in the Smith household is homemade cinnamon rolls from Michelle. Oh yeah, that's right. They are phenomenal. I absolutely love it. But... I think oftentimes in our culture, we shortchange the meaning of Christmas. We think of lights or gifts or stockings or maybe time with family, time off work. And these things are good things, but they're not the real meaning of Christmas. I think the real meaning of Christmas, we see it here in John chapter 1. While oftentimes during the Advent season, we look at passages from Matthew and Luke about Jesus' birth, and those are good, but those tell us about the facts about Jesus' birth. Here in John chapter 1, it tells us about the meaning of Jesus' birth. So that's what we're going to look at here this morning. It's going to be real brief, more like a devotional than a, a real meaty sermon that you'd get here on a Sunday morning. We're just going to focus on two concepts here tonight. The idea of the word and this idea of the word that came and dwelt among us. So the first, the word. The word. The Bible opens in Genesis chapter 1. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so here in John's gospel, in our passage this evening... I'm probably going to say this morning a number of times, if I haven't already. Um, In our passage, John, the Apostle John, opens up his gospel with, in the beginning was the Word. And the original hearers, the original readers of John's gospel would have known right away that he's making a connection back to Genesis. It has echoes of Genesis. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. This Word gets personified in verses 2 and 3, and then it is very explicit in verse 14 who this Word is. And the Word became flesh. And the Word became flesh. That's what we're celebrating here tonight. Jesus is the Word. 
that word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so what John is trying to communicate to us is that if you want to know this God, you know him through the word. You know him through the word. So often we have many different assumptions about God. What he's like, how to please him, what makes him mad. But what John is trying to communicate to his original audience, as well as to us, is that if you want to know God, you know him through his word. Before I became a Christian in 2008, I had many different assumptions about God. And if I really thought about it, if I really thought about what God thought about me, my assumption was that God was disappointed in me. And then if I thought about it some more, because of the things that I have done, I thought God was maybe angry at me. And he was waiting for me to clean myself up, to shape up, to get in line. These were the assumptions that I had about God. Until I started to read the word. And not just the Bible, not just this word. But God has given us something so much better. God has given us a human Jesus's life. And so then I started to read the, the gospel accounts and the stories about who Jesus is, what he has done. And then I started to pay attention to who did Jesus say that he was? And how did people respond to him? And how should I respond to him? Ladies and gentlemen, if you want to know God, you know him through the word. In the original language of the New Testament, the Greek, do you guys know what the word is in Greek? It's, it's the word logos, from where we get our English word logic. And so God knows that we have a brain. <laughs> we can use logic to know him. We can use our cognitive faculties, our mental abilities to know Jesus. And so I would encourage you, if you don't know Jesus, start by reading the word and paying attention to who Jesus is, who he said he was, and how people responded to him. One of my favorite stories within the Bible is the conversion of the Apostle Paul. Before, he was this uh, religious, zealous guy who would go about killing Christians, and then he met God, and his life was transformed forever. And he says in his letter to a church in Philippi, in Philippians 3.8, he says, I count everything as loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And that verse rang true in my life when I became a Christian, and I trust that it rings true in many of your lives. Is that what your life was like before you came to know Jesus, you count it as loss because Jesus is our highest treasure. And so we can know God, but we know him through Jesus. 
We know him through the word that became flesh. And that leads me to our second point here this evening. Is that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now that word dwelt, it is very peculiar about why John chose that word. He could have chosen any other word. He came to live among us. He came to be among us. No, he came to dwelt among us. And because that word dwelt is pregnant with meaning from the Old Testament. And John's original readers would have recognized this right away. That word in the original language means uh, he pitched his tent among us. Many of you might be familiar with the tabernacle or the temple from the Old Testament, specifically in Exodus. But this idea that the word became flesh and pitched his tent among us. What does that mean? What is the, the gospel of John here trying to tell us? Well, in Exodus, the tabernacle or the tent of meeting, that, that is the place that God himself would dwell. And we see in Exodus that for this tent, there were all these different provisions, all these materials, all these different areas within this tent. It was very meticulous. And there's purpose for it. And as the book of Exodus comes to a close, we see for the first time that God's glory, God himself comes to dwell within this tent But there's one small problem. No one can go into the tent. Not even Moses. Many of you might be familiar with Moses. He would meet with God. God would speak to him. And then Moses would go down the mountain and speak to the people on behalf of God. He had tablets, the Ten Commandments. That's where they come from. But not even Moses could enter this tent. Big problem here. Cliffhanger in the biblical storyline. Well, you you turn your page in your Bible and you come to Leviticus. (laughs) And if anybody's ever read Leviticus, uh, Leviticus is filled with lots of laws, rituals, sacrifices that people have to do, but there's purpose for it. The book of Leviticus is written to show and magnify the holiness of God. And in turn, the sinfulness of humanity. The Bible says God is holy, holy, holy. And since that's the case, man, humans, are sinful, sinful, sinful. And let me just be clear here. Sin is not just actions that you do, things that you commit. No, sin is a condition. It is the natural inclination of every human heart, of your heart and of my heart. And so the book of of Leviticus was written so that sinful humanity could go into the presence of a holy God. But there were many things that needed to be done before that would happen. And it would only happen one day by one person. One day per year could they enter into God's presence in this tent. And so what does it, what does it mean? What does it mean for us? Well, the, 
The Gospel of John, here in John 1, verse 14, is making it very clear. This is pointing to Jesus. The tent, the tabernacle, the temple, it's all pointing to Jesus. Dick Lucas, he's a, uh, he was a pastor from London in the last century. And he shares this story, most likely fictitious, but it's of a uh, first century Christian and a pagan neighbor. And uh, the, the pagan neighbor comes up to this Christian and he says, I hear you are religious. And that is a great thing because religion is very good. But tell me, where is your temple? Where is your holy place? Well, uh, we don't have a temple, replies the Christian, because Jesus is our temple. Hmm, no temple, huh? Well, then where do your priests go to do their, their good things, to offer up sacrifices? We don't have priests, replies the Christian. Jesus is our priest. Well, where, where do you offer your sacrifices, you know, to, to please your God? We always have to appease the deities. We don't have to do sacrifices, says the Christian. Jesus is our sacrifice. Well, what kind of religion is this? Sputters the non-Christian pagan neighbor. And that's exactly the point. Christianity, the Christian faith, is not a religion of us trying to appease a deity. No, the Christian faith points us to the word that became flesh, that was in a manger that night he was born, in a little cradle. But that man grew up. That man grew up and he died on a cross. But between the cradle and the cross, Jesus did something that you and I could never do. And he pleased God perfectly. God is holy. He does have a standard. And Jesus obeyed it perfectly. All the laws, all the sacrifices, all the rituals, Jesus did it perfectly. And he did it for you and for me so that we could have life. And then he gave his life for us by dying on the cross, a sinner's death, which he was not a sinner, but he became sin so that the penalty that we deserved could be paid in full. Jesus offering forgiveness. And for those that come to faith, that put their trust in Jesus. He's offering life. He's offering hope. He's offering joy. He's offering eternity. So wherever you're at coming in here tonight, I just want you to know the true meaning of Christmas is that Jesus came to end religion once and for all. And God no longer wants you to think that He's angry at you. He's disappointed. He's up in heaven with his arms crossed, tapping his foot 
waiting for you to get in line. No, God did something far better. He gave us his son, Jesus. And that's why we're here. And that's why we celebrate. Amen? Amen. I'm going to invite the band back up. I'm going to pray for us. We're going to keep singing and celebrating this Jesus. Please pray with me. Father in heaven, we are thankful for the word that became flesh and dwelt among us. We thank you that you gave us the greatest gift, which is your son, Jesus. Lord, I pray for us here this evening, wherever we're at, however we come in here, I pray that we would reflect on the true meaning of Christmas. Whether that's tonight as we're singing songs, whether that's as we head home to get dinner or we lay our head on our pillow, Lord, I pray that you would impress on our hearts the true meaning of Christmas. Lord Jesus, thank you that you came, but more importantly, thank you that you please the Father by obeying him on our behalf. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross. And Lord Jesus, thank you for rising again and that we could have hope, not just here on this side of eternity, but when we put our faith in you, we can have hope in you for all of eternity. So Lord Jesus, would you comfort our hearts here and now and would you be honored as we lift up our voices and sing. In Jesus' name.